I'd like you to turn with me this morning to Exodus chapter 4, beginning at verse 10. You can find that on page 47 of your pew Bible. Exodus chapter 4, verses 10 through 17. Hear the word of the Lord. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he'll be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff, with which you shall do the signs. Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. It is our prayer this morning that as we delve into your word, you would break the bread of life and feed us richly that we might grow in grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ our Lord, that we might live out of the fullness of your kingdom, purposes, power, and resourcing for us. In Jesus' name we pray and ask it. And all God's people said, Amen. Quick recap. Remember, Moses appeared to God in a burning bush that wasn't consumed. He stopped to see this sight and a conversation ensued. That conversation is framed around a series of questions raised by Moses that express his doubts. You remember the questions he raises. Who am I? He names his feeling of inadequacy before God's calling. God answers, it doesn't matter, I'll be with you, right? The the place we typically start is with our competency. So, when God calls, what do we do? We do self-assessment, right? Can I do this? Instead of asking, is God able to empower me in the doing? Who are you? Second question. Moses seeks to establish God's authority. God replies, I am who I am. I'm the eternal God who always is. Right? Remember, remember, for those of you who've read it, C.S. Lewis' most famous Narnia story, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. The children in the story, Peter, Susan, Lucy, and Edmund, enter Narnia through a wardrobe in their uncle's home. Edmund has already given allegiance to the witch, the white witch. He sneaks off 
to join her. The other three children go to the home of the Beavers, a wary but hospitable pair. Mr. and Mrs. Beaver tell the children that they will take them to see the king, Aslan, the great lion. Lucy asked, is he a man? Ms. Beaver says sternly, Aslan a man? Certainly not, I tell you. He's the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who's the king of the beasts? Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Then you will, dearie, that you will. Make no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or just plain silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Didn't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. He's good. He's the king, I tell you. Safe, do you hear what I'm saying? Who said anything about safe? Of course, he's not safe, but he's good. Here's our problem when we deal with the question of God's authority, right? We want a God who is safe. We want a God who will make us comfortable. We want a God who's not going to send us out to places where we feel inadequate, where we think we'll be put at risk. But it's a funny thing. God's main concern for us isn't our comfort, but our holiness. And so what God does is exactly what we don't want so that in our going we might be bit by bit by bit shaped and formed to be like Him. To be fit partners for His mission and ministry. Third question. What if they don't believe me? What if they don't listen to me? What about them? Fine, says God. I'll give you three signs, three evidences. The the staff snake, the leprous healthy hand, the Nile water which turns to blood. Those were the three signs. So why do we doubt? Talk to me. Why do we doubt? What, what, what causes us to struggle with God's calling? What? What others will think of us? Don't feel capable, right? So we know ourselves. We, we know our abilities or lack of them. What else? Out of, our, out of our comfort zone. Afraid we'll say the wrong things. That's, that's certainly a part of Moses' response as we get into it. Want somebody else to do it. That's absolutely part of Moses' response. Yeah, But there's another piece to this. And it's the piece we sometimes miss. We know ourselves, but we doubt because we don't know God. If we really knew God, if we really knew his, his nature, if we really knew His calling, if we really knew His ability, then we'd step out and trust. And so Moses' conversation with God is a profound wrestling with those three things, with God's calling, God's nature, God's ability. Remember, 
they've pointed us back to the fact that Moses stands in the lineage of Jacob who wrestled with God on the banks of the river Jabbok. One result of that wrestling is that Jacob is renamed Israel by God. Israel means he who strives with God. So what we call prayer is simply this, committed conversation with God, wherein we grow to know God and know ourselves more truly. To pray, the Hebrew word is lehitpalel, to pray means to judge oneself or even to struggle with oneself. To talk with God is to place your life, is to place your character, your, your person in God's plumb line, right? Moses' questions are benchmarks for us of his growing honesty with God. Is, is honesty with God a good thing or a bad thing? It's a good thing, right? But it sometimes looks unpleasant. And it looks unpleasant in this moment, okay? So remember, we've been grafted into the lineage of Jacob of Israel. Each of us is a wrestler, whether we acknowledge it or not. So now Moses asks his fourth question. Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. I love this and I love the humor in it, right? Moses says, I'm not eloquent even since you started talking to me about this 20 minutes ago, right? I've never been eloquent, but I certainly haven't grown more eloquent in in the last quarter hour. The question, though, has two components to it. You've already mentioned it. Moses' doubt of his ability, right? He doesn't believe he can do it. Now, there may be a host of reasons for it. He doesn't feel feel equipped, right? Although he grew up in Pharaoh's house, although he probably was trained in elocution, he was trained in argument and reasoning, because that would have been expected of leadership. He's been living for 40 years in Kentucky, right? And and he's lost that nuance of language. Maybe that's what's going on here. But Ibn Ezra, a Jewish rabbinic scholar, hundreds of years ago, said Moses was born with a speech impediment. Moses may have had a stammer, may have had a stutter. The phrase used here, slow of speech, ishnophono in Greek, means I am weak speeched. The, the Greek lexicon defines it as a speech impediment. Slow of tongue in Hebrew is kabad lason, heavy-tongued, right? I, I, I'm, Moses is saying, I can't do it. He may be saying, I have a physical impediment that gets in the way of this. Kabad lasoned, heavy tongue. Kabad is a variant of the Hebrew word glory. God's glory has weight and power, but here the word's used negatively. Moses knows himself. He knows he doesn't have the ability to speak with presence and power to Pharaoh. When he says, I can't to God, however, he's also saying, you can't to God. Do you catch that? Right? You can't. 
He says, I have this disability that even you, Almighty God, can't use, can't work through. God replies, who made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? God says to Moses, I made your DNA like that. I designed you in this way. It speaks to us of of the value of life, however it's configured. speaks to us pretty powerfully about the value of unborn life, if you want to go there. I made you, God says to Moses. But he goes on and he quiets his concern in this way. He says, I will be with you. He echoes what we've heard again. I will be literally, I'll be with your mouth. I'll be with your speech impediment when you go to Pharaoh. I'll be with your mouth. And I will teach you what to say as the need comes to say it. Paul in 2 Corinthians 4.7 says it like this. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. God's hunger is for us to accomplish His kingdom purposes in a way that reflects glory back to Him. Back to Him. So God reminds Moses that in the economy of the kingdom of God, God gets glory when we surrender to His calling and trust Him to turn our weakness into strength for His purposes. God reminds us that whatever we bring to the table, however small the offering is, is enough if it's fully and freely trusted to the Father for His work. But Moses just can't help himself. Even though God's met his questions, doubts, and fears with grace and patience, Moses goes to the mat one more time. You'd think four times isn't enough, right? I won't, is what bursts from his lips. I won't. I mean, he's, he's doing what we did when we were kids. You can't make me. You can't make me God, cries Moses. He exposes what's truly on his heart. Will you please send someone else, anyone else? I'm honored that you remembered me, Lord. And I'm touched by your insistence that I go, but no thanks. I'll pass on this one. Here's the problem. God's already commanded Moses to go three times. Remember that three is a number of completeness in the Hebrew world. First, Exodus 3.16, go and gather the elders of Israel. Second, Exodus 3.18, and they'll listen to your voice and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt. Three, Exodus 4.12, now therefore go. But despite God's calling, His authority, his purpose, his presence. Moses is disobedient. Many years later, Jesus spoke 
quite clearly as to why we need have no doubt or fear when God sends us. Remember Matthew 10, 19 and 20. When they deliver you over to the powers that be, don't be anxious how you're to speak or what you're to say. For what you are to say will be given you in that hour. For it's not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. But here's what we do if we're honest, right? It's what I did when I was a kid. Mom would say, take out the trash. And it wouldn't get taken out. And then what would happen? Talk to me. Would it end well? No. Right? So, so for those of you who were wise and knew it wouldn't end well, what would you do? Take out the trash. I was cut from a different cloth. I felt strongly that you should boldly go pursuing disobedience as long as you could. And so mom would say, take out the trash. And when she asked why it hadn't been taken out, I said, well, you didn't say who was to take it out, even though I was the oldest, and that was my responsibility. I deferred to my sister. So my mother would say, Bill, take out the trash. Actually, she said, Billy. Billy, take out the trash. And I wouldn't do it. And then she would ask, why haven't you taken out the trash? You didn't say when. And then she'd say, Billy, take out the trash now. So I'd take the trash out, bag it up, and set it by the door, but not put it in the can. Right? Do do you understand that all of us, Every single one of us, when it comes to dealing with God, are first-rate lawyers, right? Right? We, We can fine slice loopholes in ways that would boggle your mind. In ways that would boggle your mind. We have a problem. And the problem is because we don't want to go, we respond to God's calling in disobedience. And so what happens? God gets angry, right? We think of anger as a bad thing. But you understand God's anger is absolutely appropriate and righteous. God's right to be angry. Um, because Moses persists in his disobedience. But you need to note, God's anger is long delayed. I mean, God is patient in the extreme. I wish my mom had been as patient as as God is in this story, right? God's incredibly patient. His anger is long delayed. But in the end, there's a limit. God says, Enough. Enough. But did you know there's grace? Even in God's anger. Moses not only gives God, uh, excuse me, God not only gives Moses a staff, he provides a sibling. Have I got a deal for you, right? You don't want to go? Fine, I'll send Aaron with you. You notice God's not letting him off the hook. 
He's just given him a partner in crime. <laughs> he not only gives Moses a staff, he provides a sibling, Aaron, his brother. But there's a problem here, right? That doesn't end well for Moses or Israel. Aaron later leads them into sin by means of the episode with the golden calf. The hard truth is all of us have said no to God at one time or another. And I speak very frankly about that. I dodged God's calling into ministry for four years. Thank God for His patience with disobedient children. But know this. If God calls... You're going to go. Might be sooner. Might be later. There, there might be supports provided, although Aaron certainly isn't much of a support as, as we read Exodus. But you're going to go. And so, better to go and show first-time obedience. Now notice, God meets our doubts face-to-face in this story. Did you catch that? He's he's right there, point by point with Moses, answering his fears, meeting his doubts, right? Reassuring him of his presence, God's presence with Moses at each step of the way. So know this morning, this story is a preview of a coming attraction. We've gotten to live out of that story. Moses isn't the only son who left a palace, endured exile, and pursued an impossible rescue mission. There was another son who didn't say no. You know that story. There was a royal son. His name was Jesus. And... He said yes to God's calling, as daunting as it was. So listen to how Paul describes. Jesus saying yes. He says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every other name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There was 
another son who left the palace, endured exile, and pursued an impossible rescue mission. In his conversation with God, he pleaded, let this cup pass from me, not my will, but yours be done. Mindful of him, Paul wrote, now to him who is able to do abundantly Far more than all we ask or imagine, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Ephesians 3, 19-20. So did you catch it? Through Jesus Christ, God is able to do what we ask. God is able to do what we ask and what we imagine. You see how the ante is going up? God is able to do all that we ask and imagine. It's going up again. God is able to do abundantly more than all we ask or imagine. It goes up again. So, Are you going to trust God as He calls and go? Our problem is that of Thomas. Remember Thomas? From the Gospels? And particularly from John's Gospel. Thomas is called what? What's the adjective we use? Doubting. Doubting Thomas. Why is he called Doubting Thomas? What? He had to see to believe. Yeah. Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails. Unless I place my finger in the mark of the nails, place my hand in his side. The Greek is, is, is really awesome here. Unless, unless I grind my fingers right in the nail wounds. Unless I grind my fist in his side. The wound in his side. I won't believe. I won't believe. But you understand that that's not all the story with Thomas. Like us, Thomas doesn't always doubt. John eleven sixteen. Thomas, when they're talking about returning to Jerusalem, said, well, let us go that we might die with him. That doesn't sound like the words of a doubter. Right? I think He's gotten a bad rap and a wrong name. But, but at this moment, his experience is ours. He's asking, is the resurrection real? Has Christ really conquered death? Is God's word true? Is God good and trustworthy? Unless I see it and touch it, I won't believe it. Unless I. And maybe that's not all bad. Sometimes doubt isn't a lack of faith, but an expression of faith. Doubt insists that God be taken seriously and that faith is investigated and explored. Our problem is doubt can never be fully satisfied. There's never enough evidence. Moses is proof of that, right? For heaven's sakes, God's appeared to him in a burning bush And spoken to him in this prolonged conversation where God answers his fears, meets his doubts, 
addresses his concerns point by point by point. Doubt always consumes, you see, but, but it never consummates. This is why Jesus said to Thomas, Stop doubting, believe. At, at, at some point, we have to step out and trust. We have to step out. And believe we have to place our weight on the calling, on the ability, on the nature of God. Or we won't know, right? We won't know for sure that God is who he says he is. When Thomas doesn't believe, Jesus counters, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who haven't seen and yet have believed. In the end, seeing is not believing. As the prophet says, we walk by faith, not by sight. We learn step by step, choice by choice, to trust God's goodness and love, to depend upon his calling and command, to rest in his constant presence throughout our now repurposed lives. Understand, God never calls us to a doubt-free life. He calls us into a life of growing faith, growing faith in Him, in His nature, in His ability, in His authority. And that means going places for us where doubt will be present. Do you understand? We're not going to have one without the other. But, It's exactly in those times when we're over our skis. It's exactly when we're beyond our caring capacity. It's exactly when our ability is failing, when we're beyond ability, that Jesus Christ displays his victory over death in us. And Jesus displays that victory not by laurel wreaths, not by trophies, but by wounds, by the sign and marks of the price he paid to secure a present and a future for us, to make all things possible by God's good grace. Behold the lamb that was slain, cries Revelation. We lament, I can't believe in a God who would allow so much suffering in the world and that the evidence God provides of His withness, of His withness, are the marks of His suffering. To see and touch Christ's wounds is the antidote to doubt. But I hope you caught this morning there's an extra blessing for those who don't see and still believe. Interestingly, it is by Jesus' wounds that Thomas knows him. It's not your circumstances or ability that control the trajectory of your life. It is God's choosing, empowering, and grace. God calls you on his mission, and that calling always takes you out of your comfort zone. Always. 
in some way, shape, or form, it's going to take you beyond your ability. Thank God for that. April of last year, when work, the work I was doing with the EPC was winding down, we were beginning to think about what's next. And one of the things we considered was doing a transitional pastorate. Transitional pastorate is sort of an interim pastorate on steroids. There's intent and purpose behind it. You're not just helping a congregation manage a significant pastoral transition, leadership transition. You're helping them work through issues to get ready to effectively pursue the next partnership in ministry. So, we considered it. Had really just started thinking about it. I happened to mention to a friend that that maybe we might do this 48 hours later, maybe even 24, it happened fast, we got a call from a church right, to come. And you know how this works. If I had to pick places that we would go, it would have been warmer. <laughs> and it was Youngstown, Ohio. And, and it would have been a church not facing as many issues as they were. would have been easier. But you understand that isn't how God's calling works. Kathy hadn't even retired from EVSC. But on the fly we said yes. And one of the things that happens when you say yes is you have the incredible blessing and joy of seeing God work in ways you never imagined, in ways you never asked, in, in, in ways really beyond any human agency. And so we went and for 16 months, we're blessed in the going. God calls each of us to pursue his particular mission for us. My mission and your mission may very well look a little different, right? But be absolutely clear on this. Each of us is sent by God to someone, to some community, right? To share good news of Jesus Christ. To share the hope of a Savior that we know in His suffering. What could be more apt for a world that has fallen and knows profound suffering? So, are you going to go? God calls you to his mission. He wants you to be the very vessel of the living word of Jesus Christ. Mindful that it's a vessel 
It's made of clay. Failing and fragile and often fractured. But that's exactly, exactly the kind of vessel he uses to his glory. So, Lord God, Lord God, use us. If you bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we know that That these things are more, more than we can comprehend. That these things are, are, are more than, than we can handle, than we can cope with. But we give thanks this morning that it is not about our ability. It is about the fact that you, the Almighty, the one who, who is omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, is with us in this moment. It's all about your ability. It's all about your heart. It's all about your love and your grace. And so, Father, in our weakness, we trust ourselves to you. Do with us what you will, Lord. Do with us what you will to your glory and to further your kingdom purposes. We ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Please rise.